A reading from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not achieve righteousness of God. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In the humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. This is the word of the Lord. word wrath is, is thought of as something that belongs to God. You hear statements like, be careful, you don't want to face the, the wrath of God. But wrath means anger. And in case you didn't know, we humans are gifted or cursed at pouring out our wrath on other people. Wrath and anger, when I use those words tonight, I use them interchangeably. They mean the same thing. So when we hear one, we're hearing the other. There's a lot of anger in our world. I've seen an increasing number of news articles that are exposing more and more instances of road rage in, in our city and, our, and around our proximity as well. In fact, one of the instances uh, just two months ago was on the Taconic Parkway, which I've driven many times to go upstate. And two people got into an argument and somehow they pulled over and a man stabbed a man to death over road rage. The political scene, I won't go too far into this one, but it's angry. There's a lot of anger in the political scene. No matter where you look, it seems there are hostile um, things happening. And one of the interesting facts I saw in a, a New York Times article was there was there's this creation just a couple of years ago, a few years ago, called anger rooms. You heard of those? So, <laughs> so I invented them. <laughs> no, the, the anger room is where you go and you, are, you, you pay for your time to go in. You can take a baseball bat or whatever they provide you with and you just go and you get to tear stuff up. And, and that's what you get to do. And I know, right, it sounds like, I, I was reading, I was like, I would like to do that. Uh, because some of you can even go in and recreate a scene. Like if there's a, a certain person that you want to hurt, you can hurt them with a baseball bat. I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to go that far, but maybe, maybe I do. You know, it depends on what time of the, to the year it is. Um, but anyway, it was just this um, amazing thing that, wow, anger is such a pervasive issue for our society that someone has created a business, a thriving business, and they have these anger rooms all over the country and in Canada as well. It seems like it might be healthy to go in and smash stuff up, but psychologists have actually said that it's not healthy to do that. So if it sounds good, it just stops it sounding good. They said the, the types of 
physiological and immune responses that occur during anger can actually harm, be harmful for your health. So it sounds like a good idea, but it's really not. But anger is more than just being able to vent. It's not just about getting mad at something and being able to displace that anger onto something else. Anger causes you to see everything and everyone through the lens of your anger. It distorts your ability to to have a true and accurate perception of reality. Every little thing gets magnified when you live with wrath in your heart. The slightest offense can be the one that pushes you over the edge if you're gripped by the vice of wrath. It seems like it's very easy to be offended today. In fact, it seems like almost everyone is offended. I was playing a card game with my kids and their friends um, a few months ago, and we were all having a good time joking around, and it was, it was a lot of fun, and there was some you know, back and forth bantering between the kids, all in good taste and good fun. And someone said something to my son, who's 10, Caden, said something to him, and he knew it was funny, so he decided he was going to play along with it and keep the, the humor going. And so he was going to, if what they had said had been done without humor, it would have been an offensive comment. And so, but he knew it was a joke, so it wasn't offensive. And so he said, I am so defended. And of course, he meant to say, I'm so offended. Uh, but he said, I'm so defended. And we just laughed about that because it's funny. Um, and that was, that was our joke for quite a few, few days as we would go around and tell each other, I am so defended. And um, the irony in his choice of words is that it, it's actually got a lot of truth to it. The more I thought about it, especially in light of this week's topic and the research I've done, is that when we feel offended, which is what he meant to say, when we feel offended, it's because we believe that we need to be defended. Something about us or something of ours has been attacked, has been threatened, and so we feel it necessary to lash back out. God is our avenger is the big idea tonight. But wrath makes us think that we are our avenger, that we are our defender, and that it's up to us to do it. But we're not meant to. We're not capable of defending ourselves properly. And God is meant to be our defender. And so we want more than just protection, though, sometimes. We don't want God just to defend us, but sometimes we see something and we want justice for that situation. And that arises an, uh, arouses a, an offense within us. And we want justice to be done. But God promises not only to defend us, but he also promises to bring justice to the world. And this is what God promises to us, to avenge the injustices of the world and to defend us against our attackers. So God is our avenger means a couple of things. It means he will defend us. He will also avenge us. So that's important going forward. When we forget that, that God is at the center of this, and that he's our avenger, then wrath and anger distort our vision of the world around us and the events that are happening within it. And this is what the core of anger is. You ready? The core of anger, if you get down to the heart of the issue, is this. I trust me more than I trust God. When we cross the line and we step out and anger takes control of us, what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you to take care of this. I need to take action now. Anger says, I don't trust God to do his part. I I need to do what I need to do to take care of this. Anger says, I don't trust God 
I don't trust that he has the best, best plan for my life, so I need to step in and do something about this. Anger says, I don't trust God to bring justice to this situation, so I'm going to administer that justice right now. And if anger has its roots in your heart, then that first offense you should deal with is not what someone has done to you. But if anger is in there, your first offense to deal with tonight is your rejection of God. What you're doing is, is rejecting Him being the center of your life if anger and wrath is at the core of, of where you are, if you're struggling with it, if you're constantly conflicted with it. It's a heart issue. It's an I don't trust you God issue. So what you're doing is taking matters into your own hands. If you're an angry person, then you're positioning yourself to be in a battle against an opponent that you'll never win against. And your opponent actually is God. Anger causes us to stop being the one uh, the ones who need to be defended. And it shifts us to another category, into the category of those whom God needs to defend others from. We actually become what we hate. You ever seen a Facebook post that was just hatefully vitriolic towards people that are hateful and vitriolic? <laughs> it's out there. It blinds us. We think, well, I didn't even realize I'm being that way. Martin Luther King said this, this was our reflection thought before the service. He said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. When we remember that God is our avenger, it helps us maintain a, and protect a biblical balance in our lives, and we won't confuse ourselves for God. So there's three areas we're going to look at tonight where anger causes us to claim priority over God. And we'll start with number one. Anger causes us to claim priority over God in role. So this would be one, one word, words, <laughs> one word phrases you can write down, and then you can write down notes on top of that to, uh, to see what it, um, to help you remember it. But it causes us to have confusion over our role. Anger causes us to play the role of God in our life. We don't trust God to do his part, then we take life by the reins, by our own angry hands, and we do it ourselves. We tell ourselves, this is the right thing to do because what's being done to me is wrong, or what's being done to others is wrong, and God isn't doing anything about it. So I'm going to take care of it. Well, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, read this. it pop up on the screen? Yeah, we go. Uh, this is, he said, this you know, my beloved brethren. Let me start over. I said that with the wrong cadence. This you know, my beloved brethren. I said beloved wrong that time. One more chance. Here we go. <clears throat> Here we go. This you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. This is written by James, and he knew that his audience already knew this, but it was worth well repeating. It was worth, it was worth repeating. So he said, when we are controlled by our anger, we actually lose control. You think you're doing something good, but you're losing control. So, and instead of the righteousness of God coming from us, what we do is we spew venom and toxicity into the lives of those around us. Gentleness is the virtue opposite of the vice wrath. Gentleness means this. It means self-possession. 
You're in control of yourself. You're under control. You're not being led astray and under the control of anything else other than God. Gentleness is rooted in a deep trust that God is going to handle things. He's God. I'm not. Wrath, on the other hand, is rooted in pride. And it requires us to reprioritize uh, or reorder our priorities. And so we have to be removed from the center of our lives, which is what pride does. And we have to cause... um, Uh, God to be the priority of our lives again. So pride, this is what pride does to us. It causes us to have excessive expectations of what we deserve. I deserve this. I deserve that. And it exaggerates them. It also exaggerates the treatment that we believe we're due. They shouldn't speak to me that way. They should show some respect. And we also, it does, it it says we, we feel like, pride does this, we feel like we are owed something. We feel like we need something. We feel like it's time for us to demand my rightful share. Pride does that. But I just wonder, what would happen to our angry outbursts if we truly trusted God and His role in our life? That He's the center of it all. That He's the center of my life and not me. That is the Christian belief. God actively participates in the lives of every believer. So we must be constantly reminded of this truth because there is an enemy that wants us to forget this. One of the practical applications you can do to to help expose areas of anger in your life is to keep a journal for one week. Just for the entire week, write down every time you get angry. Write down what made you angry on a scale from one to five, how angry were you, Um, and, um, and, and just write down whatever it is about that that you can remember. Do that for a week and then put it away for another entire week. And then after that week is gone of doing nothing with that journal, pick it back up again and then start reading back through it. And so time and distance between those situations have changed, have mellowed you out. It gives you time to cool off. And ask yourself, you know what, how has my perspective changed since then? And notice, did I get angry a lot, like way too often? How many times did you get up to level five? And so that will help you do a good job of diagnosing the symptoms of anger to understand kind of your pressure points. Like you really get angry when this happens and when that happens, but it won't heal your anger issue. It exposes the problem, but it it falls short of healing it. One of the steps, and we'll talk more about the healing in in a few moments, one of the steps to, to healing anger is humor. And I found this interesting that if you learn to laugh at yourself, you'll become less angry. And if you're laughing, then you're not pushing your way onto other people, if you're laughing about yourself. If you joke about a situation, then you're comfortable enough, comfortable enough with yourself. Like me, when I stutter, I just laugh about it. You know, it's okay. I'm not perfect. <laughs> but you're comfortable enough with yourself to, to laugh as you realize that your, your claims over the world are absurd. That's really stupid that I think they actually owe me something. That this highway revolves around me. And that they should drive in accordance with my, you know, my standards of how you should drive. That's funny. We often make ourselves the center of the universe. So I encourage you to laugh at yourself and just say, you know what? I am so defended. Oftentimes, 
we take ourselves way too seriously and we don't take God seriously enough. We take ourselves way too seriously and we don't take Him seriously enough. You see, God's role is the role of God. Not you, not me. Don't forget who is who. Anger distorts our perception of what our role is and what God's role is. The second way it distorts it is the will. It distorts the role of our lives and the will of our lives and the role of God and the will of God. Anger feels really good to us in the moment. It gives us a sense of control over a world that is going against our will. It's going against our desires. And anger presumes that I have the power to fix this. But there's a good side to anger. Anger is not all bad. There's a good side of anger that, that what we do does have a power to affect change in this world. Many things have happened because people were angry enough to do something about it. Anger can be the fuel that leads us to take appropriate action when it needs to be taken. Martin Luther King gave passionate speeches where anger was expressed, but his anger did not control him. It fueled him to fulfill his ministry of peace and reconciliation. It didn't master him, but he mastered it. The Bible even says this too. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. In Ephesians chapter 4 and following, it says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So anger is not always a sin. God says, be angry, yet do not sin. So anger can fuel us to be part of seeing God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. But anger is never to be the power behind our actions. It can be the igniter to get us in the game, but it shouldn't be the power behind our actions. Anger um, can, um, basically, the bad kind of anger can fit into three categories. Uh, number one is this, angry, uh, you can get angry too easily. Do you get angry too easily? Are you irritable? Are you quick-tempered? And then you're angry too easily. The second way it can manifest is that we get angrier than we should. We blow up on some people. We get turnt. It goes from zero to a hundred real quick. I think I said it right that time. But it just, no, I didn't. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. Next week, I'll try again. So you get angry too, uh, too, um, more than you should. And the third one is you get angry too long. You get angry more than you sh- or too easily, more than you should. And you get angry too long. And if you're angry too long, you struggle with resentment, grudges, sullenness, refusal to talk, passive-aggressive. So you may be sitting here thinking, I don't struggle with anger. But if you're holding grudges on people, if you're not talking to them and addressing issues that that you have with them, if if you're just putting things off and inwardly you resent them, that's anger. That's exactly what that is. And that's the way it is holding itself into your life. These are what we to avoid, what we are to avoid. And too often we feel anger because we want our way, our will to be done. We're not worried about what God's will is. We want our will to be done. And anger causes us to put ourselves at the center of our desires. We may never say it out loud like this. You know what, God, I don't really care what your will is. I just want what I want, and I want it right now. 
We may never say that, but when we're doing the things that anger causes us to do, that's exactly what we're saying. When we want our will to be done before His, our actions are saying those words loud and clear. I don't really care what you want, God. I want what I want now. But gentleness, the virtue, comes in and it says, just like Jesus did, gentleness says, not my will be done, but your will be done. When we're angry because God's will is being violated, then we will respond in godly ways. And He'll use that anger to to fuel our courage to step out in faith. We'll be stirred to act, but our actions, they're not going to be hateful. We will lovingly step in, and instead of attacking others, we'll give our lives for them. We'll give our lives for people in order to see God's will be done in their lives and for the li- or in our lives and also for the lives of others. So anger can fuel us, but if we're wanting our will to be done, that's a perversion of the anger that is, uh, that is the good anger. Number three, justice. It perverts role, our roles, it perverts our will, it perverts justice. So the question I have to ask on this is, are you seeking justice for yourself? Are you seeking justice for others? If you're seeking justice for others, then that could very well be a good thing. A lot of times it is. But even sometimes if you're seeking justice for other people, are you seeking justice that you think is right, or is it justice that God thinks is right? If it's what you think is right, and God's not in the equation, then it's not the right kind of justice. Either way, the trap is to put yourself in God's position of being the one who, A, or one, (laughs) knows what justice is, and two, knows how to bring it. I doubt many of us would be bold enough to tell God, you know what, I know a lot more about justice than you do. But when we, again, step out in anger because we want justice to be served, what we're saying is, I know what justice is and I know how to bring it, so I'm going to bring it right now with everything I have. Anger says, I know what's best, but gentleness says, God knows what's best. Romans chapter 12, Paul is writing here in verses 14 and following, and he talks about this very thing. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, So far as it depends upon you, which means as much power as you have over yourself, do everything you can to be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. A very powerful section of Scripture where the highlights are... Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse back at them when they curse you back. He says, be humble. Then he goes on, he says, be sensitive to the needs of those around you. He says, never pay back evil for evil. Live at peace with all men as much as it depends on you. Never take your own revenge. We're talking about justice here. When we're hurt, we want to 
make sure justice, they deserve to be punished. I'm not arguing that. If someone violates you and hurts you, they deserve to be punished. Judgment is coming for them. But what I am saying is this. We need to be very careful not to put ourselves in the role of justice bringer and judge and jury and be the ones who administer that. It says, relieve room very clearly for the wrath of God. Vengeance is his and he will repay. doesn't say he might. It says he will. In the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, there, there's a, a great story, a fascinating story with uh, King David. And he was filled with wrath. And David and his men had protected a man named Nabal's uh, shepherds and, and treated them favorably as a sign of honor and respect. And so after he'd done this for uh, Nabal, he, he had sent some men to, to see him and wanted to have a favor returned for him. Can you give them some, uh, some gifts and things like this that we need and, and show favor to me as a return gesture? Well, he went and uh, Nabal was there and uh, he insulted him. And it's like, I don't even know who you are, dude. What, what, what do you got to do with my kingdom? That was a long time ago. I got stuff I need to take care of. No, do your own thing. So when David got word, his men came back to him. When David got word of what was going on, he was livid. He's like, I've been insulted. I tell you what, guys, I'm going to take about 400 of you. We're going to go there, and we're going to kill every man in that place. We're going to, we're going to bring that wood. We're going to hurt them. We're going to knock them down. That was a Darren McFadden joke for Jim. <laughs> Abigail is the wife of Nabal. She hears what happens. She, she finds out from one of her servants that her husband had offended and done this terrible thing. She gathers gifts. She runs out um, or rides out, and she meets David along the way. He's on his way marching there. She jumps off the, the donkey, gets down, and starts talking to him. He's like, look, you have every right to be mad. My husband is a fool. In fact, that's what Nabal means. It means fool. He's being a fool, and he disrespected you. You should not have done that. But I'm asking you to receive this gift and to leave room for the anger of God because you're the man of God, and he's going to avenge you. And I don't want you to do this because you're going to stain yourself, and God is not going to cause you to be harmed. And David is moved by her passionate and, uh, speech, and he says, you know what, I want to thank you. May, may God just bless you for your good judgment because you have saved me from making a horrible mistake. So she goes back, and she's going to tell her husband that night, but he's throwing a big party, and he's drunk. She's like, I'll tell him tomorrow. So she wakes up the next day, and she goes, and she tells him that, you know, here's what I did, and that guy was coming to kill you dead, and so I just saved your life. And he says the, that his, his heart became like a stone. And ten days later, Nabal died. You know, God use that opportunity to administer justice. And, you know, the, the offense that he had done may sound, sly, may sound sly to us, but what he had done to David was a really big deal. And, but God protected David by sending Abigail to, get, to be the messenger. So I have a question. Who's the Abigail in your life? Who's the one that's speaking into you that says, you don't need to do this. This is going to be a bad choice. Who is willing to intercede to keep you from making terrible mistakes? And the question is, when they do that, will you listen to your Abigail like David did? 
Or are you just bent on having your revenge? You could flip at the other question too. He's like, who's your David? And you're, you're Abigail. Are you willing to intercede in the lives of others to keep them from making a horrible mistake in anger? Will you have the faith like Abigail did to, to step out and honor God and make a good judgment for your friend? See, Jesus was, uh, he was confronting injustice in his life a lot. He went into the temple one time and just threw the tables over. And he was angry at what he had seen. They would turned the, the Father's house of prayer into money changing and just a profit situation. Not profit like prophetic, but profit like money, money. But he wasn't a, going in with a, a blind fit, just throwing stuff around. It was a calculated move that was an expo- exposing a grave injustice. And Jesus had the rightful claim above all of us to be, if anyone was going to be angry, it's him. But even with that rightful claim, what Jesus said to us is very powerful. And in Matthew chapter 11, we see what he says. And if you remember from last week, this is the same verse I used at the end of the sermon then too. But this fits the same one. It says, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, what? Gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You're going to get angry. That's a given. I think it's a God-given gift. I believe that's scriptural. That anger, at its core, the good anger, is good for us. It should bother us when we see injustice. If you're not angry about it, something's wrong. When we see things that are not, it's not, not right, then it's wrong for us not to be angry about it. But what are you going to do with that anger? Are you going to rush into that situation and be God? Or are you going to rush into your relationship with God through Jesus? Are you going to come to Him and bring that burden to Him, bring that anger to Him, and take upon His yoke of gentleness and humility? When you feel offended and you feel angered, which will happen, then your heart must turn to Jesus. Because when we see Jesus, what we see is when people mocked Him, He trusted God and trusted, God, I know You have a role for me to to play as the Messiah. When people told him, you need to prove yourself and bring yourself off the cross if you are who you say you are. He trusted the will of God. That going to the cross and dying was the only way that he was going to be able to bring justice in life. And when he desired justice in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said, if there's any other way, Lord, I don't want this to happen. The cross is going to hurt, but facing the wrath of God... And being abandoned by you is going to hurt so much more. But even if, even if this is the only way, not my will, but yours be done. He trusted that God would bring justice in his time and his way. Jesus trusted the Father to be his avenger. And because he was faithful in doing that, you and I can now, be become, now become children of God through faith in Christ. So the next time you feel like 
defending yourself and wrathfully responding to someone, remember, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to protect your pride. You don't have to protect your reputation. God is your avenger. His wrath is coming. Leave room for Him. He will do it the right way. And He will do a much better job of it than you anyway. You're not as good as you think you are. (laughs) He is your avenger. He is your defender. See, Jesus has defended you from sin and death and now given you forgiveness and life. He has defended you from the vice of wrath and anger. And He's given you gentleness. He's defended you from those who want to steal your life. And He promises, this is what God promises to you, to never leave you nor forsake you. So, when you feel offended, angry, and you want to fight back, just look to the Lord Jesus and say with a smile on your face, I feel so defended. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for being our avenger, our defender, the one who loves us, the one who has redeemed us. I pray for large, just a a massive amount of of healing and freedom in this place from anger. This is a, a vice that has too much of a grip on your church. We have wandered from you. We have tried to take ownership of our lives from you. And Lord, we are crying out to you right now that you would give us a spirit of gentleness and humility that is pouring out from a disposition of love that comes only from you. We praise you, Jesus, for being our avenger. We praise you for being our our Messiah. And tonight, God, we receive the healing. We receive the forgiveness. And we give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.